how powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The entire courtroom holds their breath as the judge eyes the remorseful, haggard defendant and says, How do you plea? And the defendant stands and says, I plead not guilty on account of being possessed by a demon. Yes. (laughs) Hello, Hainted Loves. Welcome to Homespun Haints Bonus Edition. I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. Oh, did I really enunciate that clearly? Whatever voice you use to introduce yourself, I try to exaggerate it. Well, Diana, I I gathered from your very, very tense introduction there that you're going to talk about the intersection of true crime and the paranormal. How did you know, Becky? (laughs) This week is all about the intersection of true crime and the paranormal, as we had our episode that dropped on Monday. Guests who are true crime podcasters, unlike us, one of them said that, oh, true crime is much scarier than the paranormal, and the other said, no, no, ghosts are scarier than murderers. Jessica Remo and Rebecca Everett of Father Wants Us Dead. Very delightful guests. We loved having them on the show, and... I have to say I was terrified. I was terrified of the story that they shared of John List. If you're not familiar with John List, go check out that episode. It's called Something Wicked Comes to Westfield. It aired on Monday. And also check out their podcast, Father Wants Us Dead, because it is phenomenal. Because we had spoken to Rebecca and Jessica of Father Wants Us Dead, we thought it would be interesting to explore cases where people actually have tried to use a demonic or a paranormal defense for their true crime actions. Because, you know, how else can we, like, meld these two topics together in a very interesting way? But, Diana, what you kind of found was that this really doesn't happen that often, surprisingly. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Apparently, there's something called the demon defense, but it's just referencing one single case, and that's 
the case that was featured in the film, The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. That's the primary case that we're talking about. And just to kind of summarize that, if you haven't seen the film, a young boy was possessed in Connecticut, of course. The Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren of classic demonology and psychic TV hour fame, came to unpossess this little boy. I don't think they could exercise him because they're not Catholic priests, but they tried to unpossess him. Didn't work out so well, so they did eventually end up calling a Catholic priest who did finally get approval from the church, which is like a big process in and of itself. You can't just call a priest and be like, I need an exorcism. It'll, it, it, what Do you have any deals like going on right now? Like, You can unrent a priest. Just saying. I, I don't think those guys are official. You can get an ex-priest to do it without the rigor. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And the, the film does go into the hazards of being an ex-priest, too. <laughs> but they unpossess slash exercise this little boy who, in the film, he's possessed by this demon in this house. And then his older sister's boyfriend, during the unpossession, says... Take me instead. And Ed Warren's like, don't say that. That's a dumb thing to say, buckaroo, and use guys and stuff like that. But so <laughs> everything goes swimmingly. This little boy is unpossessed. Everybody's happy. They're like, yay, it's over. And Ed has a heart attack and goes into the hospital. He's in a coma because it was like a really bad heart attack slash exorcism moment. So yeah, he's really like unconscious for a long time. In the film, The Conjuring is all about suspense and jump scares and stuff like that. So we just learn something's wrong with the boyfriend. And that's when Ed wakes up and says, you have to warn them. He's still possessed. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. The exorcism went great. It's fine. You're fine. You've been in a coma. Calm down. And he's like, no, no, no. The other boy. The other boy is possessed. And then you flash back to the other boy. And he's like murdering his landlord because he's hallucinating that his landlord is a demon with sharp teeth coming to get him and that his landlord is trying to mack on his girlfriend and he just gets mad and stabs him and then goes to prison for it because he murdered somebody. His lawyer is like, I don't know, what kind of defense can I use for a guy who just admitted to stabbing somebody and then was wandering around covered in blood? Ed and Lorraine Warren stepped up and said, we have a defense for you. And the lawyer was like, <laughs> you guys, no, nobody's going to buy that. And they're like, they'll buy it. We've spent our entire life proving that demons possess people. We could prove it to you. And so in the next scene, the lawyer's like, we plead not guilty on account of demon possession. Didn't work. Kid goes to prison. Still possessed. Bad things happen. Lorraine Warren is weird. The end. That that's basically the whole film. Wait, no, no. It's a somewhat happy ending, I guess. <laughs> no, he gets off. The defense works in the movie. Didn't you not watch the whole thing? <laughs> he, in the movie, he ends up being convicted of first degree manslaughter as opposed to first degree murder because of the demon plea, I think, is is the implication. But he's still convicted. Yeah, but it's like not a life sentence and all that. Right, right. He apparently gets out after five years and marries the girl while he's in prison she never leaves his side never stops believing in him etc etc but yeah in the film they kind of very much dramatize it so he's like floating and speaking in voices and trying to murder himself because apparently the satanic cultist needs to have a possessed human 
murder somebody and commit suicide at the same time and then she'll have something nobody really talks about what she'll have she's just a satanist and they're like tell us about the motivation of the satanist and the priest is like there's no motivation for satanists they're just agents of chaos so satanists all satanists are basically the joker in this film (laughs) right now (laughs) i remember it's a happy family film good for christmas it's a happy family yeah, at the end of the film, they play the real recordings of the exorcism of the little boy, and it's creepy. The creepiest part is Ed Warren's voice. He sounds like the small woman in the Poltergeist movies. <laughs> He's got that small exorcist voice. Like, do all people who make a living going into houses and clearing them sound like this? Oh, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the film. However, this is not how it actually went down. Just some general facts, which may or may not be alternative facts. But from what I understand, in the real case, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson is the defendant. Arnie is spelled A-R-N-E. It was indeed the Warrens who had the idea of doing the demon defense for Arnie's case, not the lawyer, which is accurate in the film. But they didn't say that this demon was the same one that was possessing the little boy. Because, according to Lorraine Warren, there were 43 demons in the little boy. Not one. No, 42, according to law.virginia, the edu. Just roll with me. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, does it really matter at this point, 42 or 43? Maybe he meant 42 additional demons. I don't know. Does it really matter? My question is, why 43? How did they get all 43 demons out of this little boy and somehow managed to just get one into Arnie? I don't know. But the judge was basically like, nope, not in my courtroom. You're not using this demon defense. Nope, we're not letting a priest testify. The judge said, if we let a priest testify in here, it's going to manipulate religious jury members to vote based on the religious facts and not the facts facts. So no, we're not going to have a priest testify. Also, the murder situation was different than it was shown in the film. It wasn't just like a, hee hee, we're having good time. We're dancing. Oh, maybe he's dancing too close to my girlfriend. Oh, now he's got sharp teeth. I'm going to stab him. But it did occur that like this young man was friends with his 40-year-old landlord. You know, he's 19. Landlord's 40 years old. They run a dog kennel on the property and his girlfriend's a dog groomer for him. The reason they're on this property is because they had to find a house that was cheap and quick because the house that they were attempting to move into was the one that possessed the little boy, her her little brother. They're in this house, like kind of staying for free because they're helping with caring for the dogs in the kennel. And it was actually like everything was very Disney-fied in the film. Because the girlfriend at this point, she's supposed to be 19, like her possessed boyfriend. But in real life, she was already in her late 20s and divorced. She's dating this this young, young boy. Apparently, there was quite a lot of trouble because when this night happened, when the murder happened, they had a lot of wine, like way too much wine. And there was also like a younger sister who was underage with them. Yeah, it was his 13-year-old sister that was there. They didn't accept her testimony because she was declared a hostile witness. What? (laughs) And then his 15-year-old sister was also there drinking and witnessing the stabbing. So, I mean, there were a lot of underage children at this party (laughs) where this murder happened. So, 
the witnesses may or may not be that reliable. You've got the girlfriend, you've got the possessed, who's the murderer, and then you've got two little girls who are related to them. It was actually the underage sister that Arnie was reacting to his 40-year-old landlord getting too close to when he started stabbing the landlord. In the film, it was a hallucination, and that's why he stabbed him. It wasn't a decision. But in real life, it was simply observed by observers that Arnie went a little nuts and started snarling like an animal and stabbing his friend, their landlord, multiple times while while growling and snarling and spitting like a wild animal. Is there any evidence that it wasn't just wine? <laughs> Is there? Only what Ed and Lorraine claim and the fact that there was an exorcism right before that. No, but I mean, the thing that this reminds me of is William S. Burroughs murdering his wife. He was high on acid and he shot his wife and then he wrote a book about it, Naked Lunch, where he's basically going through the reasoning behind it and all that. But I think he got jail for manslaughter. He didn't intend to kill her. He was just pretending to be William Tell. So I wonder if there was some other substances involved that could cause hallucinations. It may be. I mean, this was 1981, so probably. Or was it a full moon? Maybe he wasn't possessed. Maybe he just became a werewolf. Maybe he was just a werewolf. Oh, nobody thought of that defense, Becky. That might have hey, worked. Hey, new angle. Because the demon defense sure I didn't. I should be a true crime podcaster. <laughs> Part of the motivation for suggesting the demon defense was they really did want to kind of like solidify a precedent in a court case that proved the existence of God was something that you could argue in court. There really was a lot of religious stuff going down here that wasn't just like, well, we can't help the fact that there's a devil that possessed him, right? There's a demon that possessed him. It just happened. The lawyer decided, all right, so if we're going to argue that the devil made me do it, the demon made me do it, we're going to have basically an insanity plea. That's the only way to do this. We can't just say I'm completely sane and I was possessed by demons because that can't go down. That's going to be a terrible precedent to set in the courts and everybody knows it. So they decided instead to argue self-defense. And that's why he ended up getting off for manslaughter was not because he was arguing that he was possessed by a demon. It was because they threw out that claim and, and decided that it was going to be a self-defense case, which went down. That went down pretty well. All right. Wow. So... The demon defense actually isn't a thing. It didn't really work. It's basically no. what you're telling me. It's not a real defense. And in fact, in the film, Ed Warren cites that there were two previous demon defenses used in England at this time. That's not really 100% true. Were they like from the 1600s or something? <laughs> no, 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 no. They were from the 70s. Okay. Because, you know, the 70s. But there really wasn't like an actual claim of not guilty by virtue of demon defense. And I'm going to pull this up. So the case that he cites was the case of Michael Taylor. And Michael Taylor is a British murderer, had his murder case in 1974. They belong to yeah, a little bit of a cult. Okay. <laughs> Ish. You know, pretty pretty much a cult. Yeah. The cult decided that Michael Taylor was full of evil and possessed, and they performed an absolution. There was actually a, an exorcism that happened with apparently the approval of an Anglican priest. So he was exorcised earlier in 1974 and cast out 40 demons. 40 seems to be a popular number for demons. Like nobody, you bet you can't have just one. It's got to be at least 40. Horrible, horrible 
exorcism lasted all night. They allowed him to go home at the end of the exorcism because they said, well, we've exorcised 40 demons and there's only three left. So you can go. Now, I don't know about you, Becky, but if I had 43 demons in me and I had 40 removed, I would not consider myself cured. Would you? I mean, it's kind of like pulling teeth. Were some worse than others? Did you have some that you like, like like a tire that's going bald? It's like, well, you can wait till the next visit before we need to deal with that one. It's not so bad. I guess it just depends on the severe. Maybe they're minor demons. Maybe they're just like little foot soldiers. Maybe they're like, oh, can we just hang out here for a little while until we can find a new place and we'll make you dinner? I don't know. I don't know how demons work. <laughs> I don't think so because the specific, <laughs> the three demons that were left were demons associated with, in this order, insanity, violence, and murder. Aren't all demons though? You would expect that, yes. But apparently some of them are like associated with public nudity or listening to Cindy Lauper. <laughs> there's there's a lot of demons out there if you ask the right people. Especially in the 80s. Yeah, right? So they were like, it's okay, we cast out the Cindy Lauper demons, but you still have insanity, violence, and murder within you, so we'll do this again sometime. But they never got a chance to do it again because he went home and he ripped out his wife's tongue and eyeballs. Yeah, maybe should have gotten that violence demon out. Right, like maybe just a little bit. And then he strangled the poodle. Aww. Right? Who strangles a poodle? How do you strangle a poodle? How do you rip out your wife's eyes? And tongue. They said he nearly ripped her entire face off. Maybe it was actually the poodle doing it, and then he strangled the poodle, but he took the blame. <laughs> he took the blame. He didn't want the poodle to go to hell. Kind of like John List didn't want his family to go to hell for his losing his job, so he killed them. Oh, God, that's what it was. That's terrible. So this is the English guy. This is the English guy. Uh-huh. Okay. So what was the defense? Well, he didn't need a defense because he went straight to the loony bin. Yeah. They found him like naked and covered in blood in the street, not really understanding what had happened. So when he went to the loony bin, he was acquitted at his trial on accounts of insanity. He was held for two years at Broadmoor Hospital, held in a secure ward at Bradford for two years, and then he was released. So he's out in the wild now? Keep your wives and poodles inside. <laughs> hide your kids, hide your dogs. Yes. Scary. So that was what Ed was referencing in the film was this guy who ripped his wife's tongue out. When you use the demon defense, it's not like you get off scot-free. You still have to claim that you're insane and you have to go get treatment for your insanity. But apparently you get out a lot faster than if you just say, yep, I just killed people because I wanted to. Okay, well, first of all, that's kind of a terrible case to reference. Well, he may have stabbed the guy to death, but at least he didn't rip out anybody's eyeballs. The funny thing is that the lawyer in the film knew about this case, like, had it in her head. Like, I meant successful cases of demon <laughs> defense. Like, <laughs> there'd never been any successful defenses. But I don't think Michael Taylor actually claimed to be possessed during the time. I think they just kind of referenced, like, well, he did just undergo an exorcism for 40 demons. So we're going to go ahead and use that in the defense as part of his insanity plea, not part of his demon possession plea. But like, is he insane? I don't know. You tell me he was acting like he was possessed for a long time and then got exercised. So is he insane? Maybe so. That exorcism. It sounds like they were just kind of like, oh, yeah, we got 40 of them out. That cult, they did not do their job. They didn't. That really no. was demon possession. Like, they just went after the low hanging fruit. We're just going to get the public nudity and the Cindy Lauper demons out. The real troublesome ones, the real sticky ones, 
Yeah. We're going to have to check with your insurance and see if that's covered. Yeah, we'll need prior approval for that one. Talk to your PCP or your primary care priest. Isn't three demons better than 43? Can you just go home? Not to make light of that. I mean, it's a terrible case. So you said there were two prior cases. What was the other one? It was a Nigerian who was accused of raping a nurse, received a reduced sentence due to demon possession in 1977. Really? I don't know if that case occurred in Nigeria or if that's the other one he was talking about in England, but that that was the other precedent that they cited when they decided to propose that defense. But that actually worked? The demon defense actually worked in that case? Well, for a reduced sentence, but I imagine that the reason it was reduced was because of an insanity plea, more than likely. Well, Diana, thank you so much for taking me down this journey to learn about the real truth behind this case. It was a really good movie. That's the thing when it's quote unquote based on real events. (laughs) Based on. Based on. It's a horror drama that is written screenplay, all of that. It's meant for entertainment. It is not a documentary. If it were a documentary, it would look completely different. But you know what? That doesn't mean you can't enjoy the Conjuring movies for what they are. They are a lot of fun. It's very interesting when the paranormal and crime do kind of combine Oh, yeah, that's what this episode's about. Sorry, guys, I lost the thread there. (laughs) What do you think? Do you have anything to add? Any lawyers or legal historians out there who would like to chime in and give us some insight onto some other cases? We'd love to know about it. Everybody, we hope that you enjoyed this. Hainted Loves, please be sure to share with us what you think. And like I said, we are not true crime podcasters. So we're going to be approaching this from a slightly different angle than the very analytical people that are not using demon defense as an actual plausible (laughs) reason and thank our lucky stars that we aren't because this week has been hard it's been a rough week becky so much drama i mean if if you're not already a patron we are releasing a patreon episode tomorrow about the john list murders and getting deep into the nitty-gritty of just how freaking creepy the teachers at your kid's school are how creepy it can get and still be considered like just normal news or not news at all or normal just normal becky's life yeah we'll just we'll just leave it there so yeah check it out on our patreon if you're a patron if you're not a patron maybe consider becoming one because (laughs) you're missing out on some real traumatic stories yeah That's at patreon.com slash homespunhates. Well, Diana, thank you so much for going into some details on that actual case. I saw the movie, so I'm glad I know more about it now. If you've used the demon defense recently or sometime in the distant past, or considering using it in the future once you get caught for your current crimes, you'll probably have a spooky day. Homespun Haints is hosted by Becky Kilimnik and Diana Doty and produced by Homespun Haints Media LLC. Editing and music by Becky Kilimnik. Show notes by Diana Doty. If you have a ghost story and you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, please visit our website at homespunhaints.com slash submit. A nature trail is more than a path. It's a place for laughter, self-reflection, and a breath of fresh air. All Trails Plus helps you plan your next hike so you can relax and enjoy the journey. Discover new trails near you with the distance away feature and get immersive trail previews and offline maps so you can take those exciting first steps with confidence. Get outside today with three free months of All Trails Plus. 
Just use code PODCAST23 at alltrails.com slash podcast. That's three months free at alltrails.com slash podcast with code PODCAST23. Deep in the bowels of Oklahoma exists a passageway that has remained locked for decades, untouched by mortals. We don't know why it was sealed nearly a century ago, but we are thirsting to find out. So thirsty. Do you have the same insatiable curiosity as us to see what lies beyond its threshold? On September 24th, 2023, we will unveil the shadows together via live stream as we open this sealed passageway, slaking our thirst for arcane knowledge. And we want you to be there with us. Virtually, of course. This may be dangerous. We don't have liability insurance. Oh my eye! But what will we find? Is this passageway a sealed tomb? A hideaway for treasure? A portal into another dimension? Maybe it's aliens. Even we won't know until September 24th. And you can be there to discover the secrets with us. I'm not scared. Visit homespunhaints.com slash basement to RSVP for this event and find out how you can participate in this interactive adventure with us. As long as there's darkness to explore, we shall remain its loyal devotees. RSVP now and immerse yourself in the abyss of the unknown that is Diana's Basement. Visit homespunhaints.com slash basement.